Jesus, son of God, not God the son. And we'll look at this in, in two brief parts because Jesus was very much like God, but Jesus is also very much like us. And there's some really important principles that actually come out from this. Uh, and there's a lot of ideas and, and, and images that have been built up over this topic over the years. And what we're trying to do today is just get back to the basic Bible message. What does the Bible actually have to say on this topic? So let's just dive into the first part here. Jesus was like God. In, in fact, he said to Philip, Philip at one point um, says, please show us the father. We, we want to see God. What is, what is he like? Uh, and Jesus is quite shocked by his question. He says, don't, don't you know me at all, Philip? He says, he that has seen me had seen the father. Now, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the father dwelleth in me. So, so Jesus makes it very, very clear that, that he is, you know, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. So a very, very clear connection between the two. In fact, Jesus is told, you know, that the, the phrase that many of us might have heard at school, you know, at certain times of the year, uh, around about December, you know, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us. That's that's one of the names of Jesus was Emmanuel, and it means God with us. So Jesus was like God. Jesus actually showed who God was. As far as uh, Jesus was concerned, Philip didn't need to see God because he'd seen Jesus. Jesus was like God. But but we also recognize here some quite clear messages that we can pick up throughout the scriptures here. We're, we're told that in, in John chapter one, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, he hath declared him. So we're told here at no stage, even though people uh, as we come throughout the gospel, uh, uh, seen Jesus. Nobody's seen God. Um, in the first letter of Timothy, we read, uh, talking of God whom no math man hath seen nor can see. In fact, we're told in the first letter of John, no man hath seen God at any time. That's Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, and when we go back into the Old Testament uh, words which were quoted from earlier that canst not see my face for then shall no man see me and live we'll come back to this this whole idea in a moment so so we're told on one level that people have seen jesus and if you've seen jesus you've seen god but we're also told very clearly in scripture that that you can't see god it's not actually possible to see god in fact uh, in Exodus 33, Moses is told, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So what, what's going on here? Well, well, Jesus, in, in, a, in a wonderful prayer that he gives in John chapter 17, uses this, this special phrase, which is, I think, in the understanding of this, quite unique to Christadelphians. And Jesus says to God in his prayer, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Now, a moment ago, uh, we've, we see at the John chapter 1, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten son, he hath declared him. We saw with the words to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. So there's something really important about the message and the teaching that Jesus gives that manifests God and his name. Unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world, thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, 
And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. And, and it's really important we recognize here that, that Jesus talks about the fact that he has declared God. He's manifested his name. Uh, and this is what we're getting at. In fact, let's just spend a bit of time understanding what this word manifest means. because It's not typically used in, in modern language. It means to show or demonstrate. It means to reveal. And, and we might commonly use the word represent. That's the kind of word we use today. So um, when I bought uh, a new car some time ago, I bought a Mini, which is probably quite amusing seeing a six foot two bloke in a Mini. But I, I absolutely love it. It's like driving a go-kart. Uh, and I remember having a phone call from the company Mini, not the person Mini. And they would phone, they phoned me up and they said, hello, is that Mr. Anderton? This is Mini. We'd like to talk to you about your car. Now, of course, Mini as a company can't talk to me. It's a representation. It's a manifestation of Mini in the person that's having the conversation with me. And that's literally what we're talking about here. Uh, a representation, a manifestation. Somebody who is declaring something on behalf of someone else Let, let's just spell this out a little bit more we're going to go to the old testament here so we're going to go to the book of exodus the second book in the bible and we're going to go to an occasion which you you may have heard of called the burning bush in exodus chapter three and this is where moses sees a bush that is burning uh, but it's not being burnt up. It's not consumed, as, as the Bible puts it. And he's intrigued. So he goes to take a closer look. So Exodus chapter three. Uh, and I'm going to kick off at verse one. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So we're told very clearly this is the angel of the Lord that's appeared to Moses in the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses and he said here am I and he said draw not thy hither put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground moreover he said I am the God of thy father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God wisely so because we read earlier didn't we that it's not possible to look upon the face of God and live so in verse four, we see it's the Lord speaking and it's described as God. We see in verse six, uh, he speaks as I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And yet in verse two, we're told very clearly it's an angel of the Lord that's actually appearing to Moses. Now, we could spend an evening on this whole topic. So I'm only scraping on this element of it. But what we see here in Exodus chapter three, and we could see this in a number of examples throughout the Old Testament, where an angel is talking to somebody and the angel is talking as though they are God. The angel is a manifestation. The angel represents God uh, and is there just as, if you like, in a much more trite example, Minnie were talking to me. But of course, it was a person representing Minnie. Now, and we can pick up exactly the same idea in the New Testament. We're going to come to the, the letter of the Hebrews, which is towards the end of the New Testament. Uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter one. So the opening words of this letter, Hebrews chapter one, verse one. 
God, who at sundry various times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Remember we said earlier on it was the words that he was declaring critically that mattered here. Spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So so God used to speak to us through people, through the angels. But we're told here in these last days, ah, he's chosen to speak to us by his son who in verse three is the brightness of his glory the express image of his person and we're going to do a little bit of digging with the concordance here because i'm not a greek expert but if you pick out a concordance and look up this word image here the express image of his person it's the greek word character so he was the express character of god you, you come to know jesus well you've come to know god because Jesus not only spoke on behalf of God, just like the angels did, he declares the words that God has given him. He's also like God in his character. Uh, I mean, there, there's um, uh, a, a number of people uh, I know who work with my eldest son, Joshua. Uh, and he has the unfortunate experience of sometimes being referred to as Peter, which obviously, for, for obvious reasons, any any 20 year old uh, young man's not going to like being referred to as his father but they do it obviously to wind him up but they also do it because we've got so many similar characteristics in terms of the way we behave and, and the way in which we are and what we see in jesus in a perfect example is not somebody who's just a little bit like god but somebody who is really like god he ultimately manifests god's character now let's go a little bit further with that we're going to come back i should have told you to keep a, a bookmark in exodus we're going to go back to some words that were, were referred to briefly um, by tim in his introduction it, exodus chapter 33 uh and, and we'll pick up the account at verse 18 so what's actually happened here it's a sorry event in the history of the nation of israel uh, moses had ascended up into the mount to receive uh, the law from God. They've then, yeah, after the time he's been up for a period of time, they've forgotten all about Moses. They've forgotten all about God. And they've actually set up, they've created a golden calf and they're imaging, they're worshipping the image of a cow and all sorts of other um, abhorrent practices are going on in the process. Um, so Moses comes down and of course he's, he's confronted with this horrible situation. And after it's dealt with, Moses is feeling particularly downhearted. And here's what he says to God, Exodus 33 and verse 18. He says to God this, he says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, uh, this is the angel, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You notice what's going on here. He doesn't say, well, I've got this color eyes, I'm so tall, and this is what I look like. He's describing his character, because that's what matters about God. That's what he's trying to get across to us. I will be great. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. We quoted that earlier. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and I shall stand upon a rock 
And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and cover thee with my hand while I pass by. So that's the arrangement that's made with Moses uh, and the angel. And we see in chapter 34 then further details of exactly what happens. Let's just pick out the account at verse five. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant. Chief is the word here in the Hebrew. Uh, you know, above all, he is goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third uh, and the fourth generation so he's he's above all things we see there's a wonderful description the, the words that should stand out here that we're told here um is that uh, he is abundant he's all lots of things but he's particularly abundant or chief as i said uh, the hebrew word represents in goodness and truth or 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 mercy is the word there in the hebrew mercy and truth god is is merciful and gracious he's a god of judgment and abundant and truth and particularly here we see this principle of mercy and truth standing out and you can pick up this principle all the way through the scriptures you know, there's lots of this in the psalms for example in the psalms he's described as merciful and gracious slow to anger and notice what's going on there he's clearly very patient and plenteous in mercy but it doesn't mean he will never become angry as the heaven is high above the earth so great is his mercy toward them that fear him like as a father pitieth his children so the lord pitieth them that fear him if you want to understand a little bit more about god's character of course as well as looking at the lord jesus christ psalm 103 from which this is taken is a wonderful place to start just to sit and read through that psalm hebrews chapter 10 you know we, we looked at hebrews 1 earlier the lord shall judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So yes, he's merciful and gracious, but he's also a God of judgment. There's a, there's a contrast that we start to see coming up together. We understand the character of God, that he will um, show mercy and love, but he will also show judgment and truth. You know, the principle we could look at here is it, it's rather like a good parent, you know, a parent who will allow their child to get away with anything with no consequences, is not a good parent. We all know that. Okay. At the same time, at the other end of the spectrum, a, a parent that is all severity and harshness with no love and compassion is not a good parent. The best parent is one where we see these two characteristics coming together beautifully, and that's what we see in God and ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 25 says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, and to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Yeah. All the parts of the Lord, they're either mercy or the truth. That's what he is about. Romans 11 says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. And what we understand about God is he's both of these things. He's never one without the other. And when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ and the way he came to the earth and the compassion and the love that he showed to all that were around him, it's incredible the extent to which he shows that facet, that part of God's character. And yet also we see somebody who challenged uh, and, and, and was willing to condemn the Pharisees, for example, 
for their dreadful attitude towards God and their self-righteousness and their dreadful attitude to the word of God because they were not listening to the message that was being given. Jesus did not pull his punches. He gave very clear uh, and very challenging messages to those who were not prepared to listen. And this is what we see in Jesus, this perfect balance of God's character in the way in which he behaved. So Jesus manifested God. If you see Jesus, well, you know, if you know Jesus, then you know God. If you've seen Jesus and you've come to know him, you've in a sense seen God and come to know him because Jesus manifested God. And that's a really key principle. This whole idea of Jesus manifesting God explains so many difficult passages when people get confused about what's actually going on. Now, let's just flip to the other side of the equation, because Jesus wasn't just like God. He was like us. Here's a classic example. We'll go through a few situations, scenarios here. We're told very clearly in Scripture that God is not a man. In Numbers 23, we won't turn to it, but we will turn to First Timothy 2. Um, we're told God is not a man that he should lie. God, God doesn't lie. You know, he, he's, he's not like a man. Whatever God says is what happens. Whatever God says is truth because he is a God of truth. That's fundamental to his existence. But we're told in that in that in that picture, God is not a man. Let's not bring God down to our sides. But we are told that Jesus is a man. There's a number of references we could turn to. But let's turn to first Timothy in chapter two. And verse five. So we're told here just for the for for the sake of time, we're going to just pick out some some key elements. But it's really worth looking through all of these references uh, in your own time. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just pause and spend a bit of time checking around the context so you can see that it all makes sense. But we're told here in First Timothy 2 verse 5, there is one God. Yes, we understand that. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Uh, and when the, the first letter of Timothy chapter 2 was written, Jesus had already ascended up into heaven. And yet even then, he is described as the man Christ Jesus. We, we've already read, haven't we, that we cannot see God and live. We've looked at a number of those passages. And yet, if you just turn on a few more pages in the New Testament to the first letter of John, so towards the end, here's what we read in verse 1. So the first letter of John, John writes this letter and he begins with the words, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. And he goes on to talk about the fact that he is talking to them about Jesus. Uh, and he's saying you know, we, we've looked upon him. We, we've handled him. He is the word of life. Um, uh, but, you know, Acts chapter one, verse three. You know, the, it talks, in fact, let's just turn there very, very briefly, actually. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. So we hear um, Jesus here showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus was seen by men and women, but God, you cannot see God and live. Now, God knows everything absolutely everything okay now let's just come back to hebrews because that's not what we're told about jesus um now you know we we could joke couldn't we about the uh, i think i remember seeing a fridge magnet on a, a friend of mine's house it said something like teenagers 
move out now while you still know everything. Um, because th we all reach a stage in life, don't we, where we think there's nothing left to learn and we know more than those who are around us. And we can't learn in that scenario. And then we grow beyond that and we realise how little we know and how much there is to learn. But God, literally, he knows everything. And yet Jesus, come to the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, we could see the same in Luke chapter 2 as well. We'll just use Hebrews chapter 5 as an example this evening. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. Jesus... Okay, we're talking of in this section here, though he were a son, yet learned to obedience by the things which he suffered. So Jesus had to learn to be obedient. Uh, and there were other things that we can read of elsewhere that he learned uh, and he grew as a result of the things that he learned. So clearly Jesus didn't know everything. He was more like us in that sense than like God. And you cannot go through the Gospels without recognising consistently that God is greater than Jesus. And the Gospel of John, which perhaps is one of the more confusing Gospels when it comes to understanding the relationship between Jesus and God. Jesus is constantly hammering away that God is greater than he is. He leaves you in absolutely no doubt. God is greater. There is a difference between God and Jesus. Um, God is greater than Jesus. Uh, at times they wanted different things you, you could read the prayer that jesus gives in the garden of gethsemane in matthew chapter 26 and he's praying that this might not happen uh, and yet he concludes his prayer nevertheless not as i will but as thou wilt acknowledging there was a difference jesus wanted one thing god wanted another and jesus submitted his will to god's will because god was greater uh, and he accepted that God's will was right and he followed uh, in the footsteps that the father set for him. We know that God is immortal. He cannot die. And yet Jesus died. I mean, there's a contrast, isn't there? And what we start to find here at this stage, just turn to Hebrews chapter five. So what we start to find here is we we're now starting to get to the situation here where if we don't recognize that Jesus was like us, we're starting to undermine the entire sacrifice and and offering of Christ. Uh, and, and that's really where we'll conclude our thoughts in, in just a moment. But but Jesus, he wasn't immortal. He died. But more than that, he needed to be redeemed from death. He needed to be brought back from the grave. Hebrews chapter five and, and verse seven. So again, uh, here talking about Jesus, we were, we were looking at Hebrews 5 earlier. We read here, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Jesus prayed to God that he might not be left in the grave, uh, that he might, um, after his death, uh, at, at, the, at the right point be raised again let's just turn over to hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11 here so all of the letter to the hebrews really is about the, the lord jesus christ uh, but we're just picking out a couple of examples verse 11 here but christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building it's not to do with the tabernacle ahead in the wilderness where they worship God. It's not to do with the temple that they had in Jerusalem. It's about him and his body. But we're told in verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once 
into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. You see, he needed to be redeemed from death. He was not immortal. And then finally, you know, we recognize here that, that, that Jesus, uh, God, sorry, we're told, cannot be tempted. Keep a bookmark in Hebrews and just turn over a few pages to, to James. It's the next letter, actually, James chapter 1 and verse 13. And there's an argument taking place in this letter about people saying, oh, God is tempting me. Um, but it, in an offhand comment, there's also a comment here about whether God cannot be whether God can be tempted himself. So in verse 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God cannot be tempted. But Jesus, we're told, come back to Hebrews then, this time chapter four, Jesus was tempted. In fact, that's fundamental to uh, his sacrifice was that he really, really all the way through his life resisted sin. He could have sinned just like we sadly sin, but he never sinned. Uh, and we can see this in Hebrews chapter four uh, and verse 15, 16. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus declared God's character in truth. And everything that Jesus did was true. There was no sham. There was no pretending. He might have been sinless, but he really could have sinned. He really was tempted. There was no pretense that was going on here. God, on the other hand, cannot be tempted. So there's a massive difference that whilst Jesus is like God and reflects his character, Jesus is also very much like us. He's described as a man. He's seen and touched by men. He learned and grew in wisdom. He recognized that God was greater than he was. He at times wanted different things to God, but subjected himself rightly to the will of God. He died. He needed to be redeemed from death. He was tempted. He could have sinned. But, and this is just it's an incredible thing to think about here. But the minute we start mixing these two things together and start saying that Jesus was God, going against the teaching that we're seeing here, that we're pulling out here from a scriptural perspective, we start turning the whole sacrifice of Christ upside down and we are left with nothing. We've literally turned the Bible inside out, bringing in ideas from outside of scripture that are not clearly taught within scripture at all. I want to recognize this fundamental principle that Jesus was like God and he reflected his character. Yet also Jesus was like us. And that's why he was able to do what he was, could do. He was the mediator that brought God and man together. But everything he did was truthful. There was no pretense involved. And yet through his work, we can have access to mercy uh, and compassion. But it's all because Jesus was like God. And Jesus was like us. He was the son of God and he was the son of Mary. He was the son of God, but he was not God the son. Thank you very much.